When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Brandon Harvey here. Before we get started, I have some really exciting news from the Good 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 team. We have officially started shipping out issue five of the Good Newspaper, our print newspaper filled with good news. This means that if you're a subscriber, this issue should be arriving really soon. If you haven't already ordered issue five yet, you're not going to want to miss out. Inside issue five, We include stories of journalists working to save democracy in unique ways, Mormons showing up to support LGBTQ youth, Nigerian heroes, inclusion in the intimate apparel sector, and the global eradication of polio. Uniquely, this issue also includes a good news story on how to plan a wedding that's ethical, environmentally friendly, and gives back. This issue has all of that and more, and you're really not going to want to miss out on all of the real messy hope inside. It is also just so beautiful. I can't wait for you to see our centerfold poster and oh my gosh, so much more. I can't keep talking about this. Visit our shop at goodnewspaper.co to order this issue or subscribe for the entire year. You can also click the link in our show notes. All right, now here's the show. No matter who you are, whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 100 company or in the third grade, you have weirdness inside of you. Just think about it. Before we figured out that it wasn't okay to stand out and do crazy things for fear of rejection, we had a period of our lives where we weren't afraid to do stuff. We had outrageous ideas and probably said some things to our parents classmates and neighbors that would freak our adult selves out today. (laughs) What if we started fearlessly rediscovering the person who we were before the world told us not to? That's what CJ Cassiata is passionate about, getting weird again. And I'm thrilled he's my guest on the podcast today. CJ is an author, speaker, and media producer who has helped some of the world's biggest brands, including Lululemon, the United Nations, MGM Studios, and Whole Foods, discover their unique identity and share it creatively. He also spends time speaking around the country at places like TEDx, Story Conference, and Charity Water. And if that's not enough, he's now the author of his newly released book, Get Weird discovering the surprising secret to making a difference. We'll be talking about that today, including how weirdness just might be the key to changing everything. It's going to be so much fun. I'm Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Sounds Good is not your typical three steps to success podcast. We don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We deeply believe that our lives are more complex than that. So we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, dive into nuance, and learn from each other's stories. I'm so excited for you to learn from CJ today. So here is our conversation.
I was thinking, knowing that you were coming over, uh, when did you move to Nashville? Did we move around the same time? It's going to be four years in October. Okay. So for me, it would have been three years in a little bit before October. Yeah, I think I remember hearing whispers of you, uh, Brandon Harvey, the Seattle guy. <laughs> it was Judson's best friend. So, I mean, he was yeah. yeah, my my friend's moving here. And so, yeah, I think I think we were here for a couple of months. Great. Well, and I was visiting Nashville before that because I was dating yeah. Sammy. So, we may, we may have even met bef- in real life before that. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. <laughs> um, where were you at before Nashville again? We were in Southern California. So, we kind of were in Orange County and then hung out in San Diego for a little bit. But we were Southern California people. Man, what brought you? Because you weren't from Southern California. No, I'm from Long Island, New York. And how did originally? How did you? Those are opposites. How did you opposites. do that? And now I just kind of in right in the middle Smack in Nashville, Tennessee, like, of third coast, averaging it out. I wanted to study media and filmmaking and music and production, and so now I look back and I go, "Gosh, New York City is actually a pretty good place for that." <laughs> but for some reason, I just wanted to get out of the small little town that we were in outside of New York City and go to the West Coast. And so I went to California, and then I spent about eleven years there. When you grow up in Long Island, do you spend much time in Manhattan, or do you just yeah? Kind of I mean, okay. now it's like you know, I, I I talk to sixteen, seventeen year old CJ in my head and go, "What were you thinking? Like, this is New York City. Like, That's how can so you stay funny. here?" But I wouldn't have met my wife if I didn't, you know, yeah. go to California and all of these other cool things. But you know, it's I feel like life's kind of like a choose your own adventure book, you know? Totally. Well, and I mean, the media world really is in Hollywood. There's a lot of it in New York, but yeah. if you're like, "Oh, I want to get into story," you know, New York is still largely business focused, sure, with a little bit of the extension of you know some media stuff, and then. LA, California feels very much storytelling media. Yeah. And it's funny, like when I was in California, I felt like I kind of had to hide my New Yorkness a little <laughs> bit because, you know, I would say there's a, when I was in college, we were, me and my roommates were trying to move around our, our furniture. And I kept on saying, hey, uh, so what are we going to do with the ammo? And nobody said anything for about like five minutes. And I said, hey, guys, what are we going to do with the ammo? And they're like, what What the heck are you talking about, CJ? I'm like, the ammo. You know, the armoire? The, the, the closet? That's and I'm funny. like, yeah, the ammo. And so that they don't let that down. I'm still friends with those guys today, and they, they don't let me forget that. But now that I'm in Nashville, I kind of like, I don't know, I have like a, a, a better ownership of my New Yorkness. Again, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, from no, I'm actually from New York. So... <laughs> And and I think I just New York City is just so it's not getting any less cool. You know, no. it's the epicenter of culture, and um, yeah, I'd love to hang out there for an extended period of time, uh, maybe for a summer or for a fall, and yeah. in, in a little bit. Um, that would be really fun. That'd be really fun. Growing up, did you know? Was your game plan the whole time like I want to get into media game storytelling game? Yeah, definitely. I my heroes growing up were. Uh, three guys. It was it was Jim Henson, Mr. Rogers, and Walt Disney. Mm. And I just knew that I wanted to do something in in that vein where I was creating content for we call it content now. Nobody would have said you know seven year old CJ. Yeah, I want to create content, <laughs> um, branded content, and content that's like you know social and snackable. No, but I wanted to make stuff that grown ups and kids could watch together and both get something out of. Mm. I, I would say a, a, a close fourth. Was George Lucas? You know, I remember seeing yeah. Star Wars for the first time. Totally, going, like, this is amazing. And and why isn't there a whole lot of stuff out there today? You know that does that. So yeah, 
That's been the dream. In your new book, you talked about this idea that most of us get the weird kicked out of us before we have the chance to cultivate it for good. Was that something that happened to you as a kid? Because, I mean, because it sounds like you maintained that that vision, you know, throughout growing up. Yeah, and that's actually directly related, I think, to to that vision of of wanting to create that kind of stuff and and live that kind of life. I don't think I have maintained it very well at all. I think maybe on the outside it might seem that way, but you know, every day is sort of a choice and a a, a challenge to go. How am I going to to live today? Am I going to live out of that seven year old version of myself? Yeah. Or am I going to live out of fear of not kind of coloring outside the lines. Um, and that's a that's a, just an everyday choice I think we make, just in the same way it's a choice to, okay, am I going to actually be a good husband, a good dad, a good friend, a good son today? One of the choices I got to, you know, sort of intentionally make is like, how? what, what am I going to live out of today? Am I going to live out of my inner kid or my scared, afraid grown-up? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think about that all the time because the world I work in, half of what I do is straight up business. It's looking at spreadsheets, it's communicating, it's uh, Slack and, you know, all these things. And then the other half is straight up creating things that have never been created before and trying new things and feeling like I'm innovating and working together. I never feel like someone's pulling at me to do the creative stuff. Nobody's ever (laughs) pulling at me like saying like, hey, you've got to make this right. thing happen in the world. But people are always pulling at me to do the, the businessy, boring stuff. Yep. And I don't know. It's, it doesn't come naturally at all for me to, to lean into the stuff that, that feels like it's coming out of my heart. But I don't know. Like, I'm just grateful I, I get the opportunity to do that. But it's, it's a choice every single day. It's really, really hard. And, yeah. and most days, I probably don't succeed at that. Most days, I do kind of, bail into, okay, let me feel like overwhelmed and stressed by these grown-up things I have to do. Yeah, and I don't think it's a binary, you know, boring business stuff versus creative stuff. I think it's a a posture of going, where can I find childlike innocence today? Where can I operate out of a childlike place where the things that I think cripple us as grown-ups, the fear and the the worry about the unknown um, and the priorities that sort of grip us don't grip us anymore. Yeah, and you know you can look at a spreadsheet, you can you can do something quote unquote businessish um, through the lens and through the eyes of childlike wonder. I really do believe that, but. It takes a, I think it takes just a certain amount of reflection and intentionality. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. Maybe we should back up for a second and talk <laughs> about, because we're like getting deep into it. But, you know, you wrote this book, Get Weird, about this idea of, of weirdness. Where did that idea come from? Why, why weirdness? Yeah, you know, I was kind of trying to figure out, I was sitting, I, I talk about this in the introduction of the book, I was sitting alone in a pub in New York City because, you know, I, I was trying to pitch something that wasn't really working out and I was honestly feeling a little down about myself and where I was headed or where I wasn't headed and I was like, gosh, what do I do? I was helping companies, you know, with their messaging and branding and communications and creative strategy and all that stuff and I really liked 
this whole idea of, you know, some of my passion projects were really more about um, helping people kind of figure out what their unique identity is. And so I just was like writing down in my journal and I wrote this word weird down and I went, oh my gosh, that's, that's a one syllable version of, of really what I'm doing. I help people and companies and leaders figure out what makes them unique in a, a sea of similar thinking, in a sea of same. And I kind of like the word, but I'm also still scared of it. I remember being scared of it in that moment when I wrote it down, going, wait a minute, weird. Nobody likes to be weird. That's actually a, a pretty heavy word. Like, I don't feel like I'm weird. I mow my own lawn. I tell dad jokes. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, I, when I'm shopping for clothes, I'm, I'm literally like shopping with the, the intention of fitting in and just not standing out. But I think on the back end of, of writing this book and speaking about it and consulting about it, I think it's kind of a beautiful sort of juxtaposition where, yeah, I'm this normal dad guy, dad bod dude who is embodying this this message and this identity of weird because what I've found and what I deeply believe in writing the book is that we're all weird. We can't escape it. We're all created with this unique combination of matter and spirit that nobody in human history has been able to duplicate. And so if that's true, what do we do with that? Mm. And I love this idea that what we're doing is we're trying to find what makes us weird rather than trying to create weird. You know, it's an uncovering, not a creation. Because if if you try to create weird, then it's it's probably BS to some degree. Yeah, the book is actually falsely titled. It's, <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's not, you can't get weird. You are weird. Mm. And so how do you live that way? That's funny. That's really interesting. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the bait and switch when it's yeah. used for good. Yeah. <laughs> and so people are like, oh, cool, I'll get weird. You know, because sometimes it's hard to, to look inward and realize, oh, I am weird, or or there's a weird that I buried and yeah. I've been missing out all these years. Yeah. And so it's probably comforting for people to pick up the book and go, oh, okay, cool. Like this will teach me how to get weird. And then once they've already purchased it, they're already invested. They're like, oh, dang, I got to do some work <laughs> on this. I got to make this happen. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so how do we how do we do this then? So if we're all born with weird, and and maybe. Break down a little bit more what that means first. Like, so what's this innate weirdness that we're that we're born with? So it's it's you know no pun intended. It's really weird. I ended up looking up that word in the dictionary, and really doing that late in the game. Like somebody had told me, "Well, have you ever looked it up?" And I'm like, "Actually, <laughs> no, I haven't." And I was really surprised at what I found. It, it weird is um, there's a, a definition. It's pretty early on. It's like number one or two, but it says suggesting the supernatural. Hmm. So weird isn't just this word that we throw at people. I mean, we do, but it's not appropriate just to go, oh, that's weird, or, you know, I, I don't understand that person or that thing or whatever, and it's weird. Weird has this sacredness to it, you know, this weight to it, where it, it suggests the supernatural. And so regardless of what we believe about the universe and why we're here, you know, there's something different about us as human beings that we can all sort of point to and go, okay, there's something deeper going on here. Like, otherwise, why be empathetic toward each other? Why practice kindness? Why innovate new solutions? Um, We're weird, and that's a really good thing. And so how do we excavate that? And and so how 
do we excavate that? Yeah, well, again, you kind of already alluded to it, but at some point, the weird gets kicked out of us, right? It could be yeah. a bully, it could be a coach, it could be a parent. You know, we're all born with this innate imagination. When you were a kid, nobody needed to teach you to imagine monsters, you know, or come up with crazy fantasies or draw different, you know, I, I used to draw cars that turn into planes, that turn into submarines. Like, nobody gave me a guidebook and said, this is what you should do. We, our natural predisposition as children is to operate out of our weird imaginations. But that gets kicked out of us over time. We start conforming the patterns. And again, it could be a lot of different reasons. But by the time, you know, Mark Twain has a great quote. He says, you know, we bury men at 72, but really they die at 27. Hmm. And so usually by the time you're 27, you know, that weirdness gets kicked out of you. So excavating that is really about tapping into that seven-year-old version of yourself, that eight-year-old version of yourself. Uh, Ellie uh, Wiesel, who um, won the Nobel prize uh, you know years ago but he obviously was found himself in a concentration camp when he was a kid and in that speech that he makes he goes i turn to the boy now who's in that camp i turn to the boy version of myself and he's asking me a question he goes what what have you done with our life hmm. and so a really good practice would be just to kind of reflect and go, you know, if I'm if I'm looking at my seven, eight year old, nine year old self right now, I want to imagine him or her asking me the question, going, "Hey, what what are you what have you done with our lives?" Yeah. So when your inner seven or eight year old asks you that as a grown adult man, how do you respond? Yeah, it's funny. Somebody somebody asked me that question a while ago and posed that question and. I would respond, you know, we're we're doing what we said. We're doing what we talked about. So, don't, so <laughs> chill out for a minute, okay? Get a little defensive. But it's a lot harder than I think we thought. Hmm. So I had, did a big pitch to a Hollywood executive a couple of months ago and was really nervous the whole time about it. And the one thing that kept me sane and kept me from, like, running out the door was, you know, 10-year-old CJ thought this would have happened by now. And 10-year-old <laughs> CJ would have been like, of course we're pitching to this person. This is what we do. This is what, this is, this is what Jim Henson has done, and this yep. is what Walt Disney did. And so, like, what's the matter with you? Why are you so nervous? This is the thing that we do. And that's literally – and that's actually funny. That was before uh, my friend uh, told, my friend Ian told me about the um, early Weisel quote and actually asked me the same thing. Mm. But it was just, it was funny because that's like the one thing that was kind of going through my head the whole time, kind of keeping me like, okay, let's do this. Because 10 year old TJ would have been like, this is clearly, this is what we do. Like, I don't know, I don't know why you're, yeah, <laughs> why you're surprised. Yeah, that's interesting that you can kind of walk in with this confidence of a, of a child, yeah. you know, before realizing that, you know, sometimes in those moments where you get too hyped up, you get too excited, then when you fail, you get really let down. Yeah. What's the Bob Dylan lyric? He's like, I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Oh yeah, like he, you know, he. It, it's sort of this idea that when I was a kid, I was wiser and I understood these things and I had that confidence. And now I've sort of lost that. I'm trying to figure out how to unguard myself from the disappointments of life because yeah. so often I put up such a shield because I don't want to feel disappointed or I don't want to feel frustrated that I'm like, oh, I'm just not going to feel anything with this. Sure. I'm just not going to lean into 
the emotions for this at all. And the problem is when you succeed, which I don't know, happens more than you think it will in some in some ways. Uh, when you succeed, you don't feel the the fruits of that victory. You don't feel the the joy if no you way. put up that shield beforehand. You if you put up that guard, and so I'm learning how to, you know, experience more joy, and also you know as a result, I will experience more pain. But I don't know. I, I guess as a kid, you you feel it all so fully on sure. both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, and and unfortunately, what happens is is our culture doesn't give us contexts and opportunities to feel and to feel in healthy, vibrant, productive ways. Yeah. And so what ends up happening, I mean, you see, and obviously there's a ton of different reasons for this, but you see the gun violence at an all-time high in these schools. And you see bullying at an all-time high. And you see self-harm um, just out of control. And what I think, one of the major reasons for that, again, these are complex issues. There's a lot of things we can do to curb these issues. But fundamentally, you know, 80% of schools in the U.S. have removed the arts and humanities from their mm. curriculum. And so we sit there scratching our heads going, why are our kids, why is this generation of kids unable to express themselves in positive ways why are they turning to such awful ways of expressing themselves and i'm like here in the corner raising my hands going (laughs) uh i think there's a discipline that's been around since the dawn of time that helps human beings express themselves in positive healthy ways and we've removed that Uh, from our educational process yeah maybe if we start putting those things back we'll see some real change happen and that's that's something um dedicating my life to and that's really the, the you know the the manifesto that is this book is really not only helping grown-ups sort of connect with their inner kid but hopefully challenging a generation to go hey look let's raise a generation of kids where the weird doesn't get kicked out of them yeah where it just stays and it grows and it populates and it actually increases so that we raise this population this generation of human beings where their creativity and their innovation and their empathy towards each other, all of those good things that, that art and imagination bring and weirdness brings, yeah. um, they're off the charts. Yeah. Man. We this, move the world forward. Yeah. See, you know, not to get too political on this, but I think about this all the time in the context of jobs in America. You know, that was a huge part of the election and, of course, just you know, America, it's important that people have jobs. But when I see, you know, leaders saying, we're going to bring back coal jobs, we're going to bring back manufacturing jobs. What I see is, I mean, and you've read, uh, who's that author? Um, Sir Ken Robinson. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic yeah. TED Talk guy. Uh, really, I mean, he, he has all these thoughts on the education system. But when I think about manufacturing and coal jobs, I just think of these very procedural jobs that could be done by anybody. And if they could be done by anybody, then of course they're going to end up going to other countries. And when I think about America, uh, I think 
the coolest things that we've done as a country have been the innovation, the creativity, the the new ideas. You know, the Walt yeah. Disney's and the Steve Jobs and people who took a risk and tried something new and then created all these opportunities. And I just think, what would it be like if our education systems, what would it be like if our societies, our schools, like the whole the whole deal leaned into, okay, what's the weird thing we can do? What's the weird creative yeah. thing we can do? And yeah, you know, we're going to lose some of those manufacturing jobs, but we're going to be creating those jobs around the world. Like we're going to be opening up like this whole global economy because of our ideas, not our hours and not our hands and not our uh, procedures, but ultimately because of our minds. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's the work that I'm dedicating my life to. And the book is sort of the first step into a long kind of line of, of, things that we're creating, if you look at all the research that's being done, you know, everybody's kind of still, I, mean, I shouldn't say everybody, but there's still a uh, a cultural sort of disposition where we've got to get kids learning uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. They call, it, they call it STEM. And those are great things, by the way. But if you look at where the marketplace and where the workforce is headed, you've got automation, um, you've got coding, you've got all of these things, and those are great. But the thing that a lot of the um, researchers and all, a lot of these big companies, like Google did this total crazy internal survey, you're going to need workers that understand. They call it soft skills. I don't like that phrase because it sounds soft. They mean soft skills in the term of like software versus hardware another oh. another word they're using for it is 21st century skills but really what those skills are are creativity empathy hmm. critical thinking imagination it's the stuff of weirdness it's the stuff that we're talking about that we're not teaching our kids but you know you've got all of these parents who are going well okay i need i need my kid to learn science and technology and, and how to code and stuff yeah, but honestly, if you're really looking at the research and common sense where yeah. everything's about to be automated, you want your kid to have a successful job in the workforce, might need to take a couple art classes. Yeah. You might need to take a communications class where they're understanding how to have an interpersonal dialogue to solve a problem with another human being. That's where our workforce is headed. That's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this concept of, of, of weirdness and, and uniqueness and creativity out of our unique selves because that's what we need to be teaching our generation of kids right now so that in 20, 30, 40 years, and really sooner than that, we're creating a, a, a vibrant and um, viable yeah. <laughs> economy and, uh, and culture where it isn't solely robots running yeah, the world, you know? Totally. Well, and I'm a huge fan of coding, and I think coding is so important, but at the end of the day, it's just going to be a language. Yeah. It's going to be something that's communicated, and I think it's going to be a new standard. Like, I think that our grandkids are going to be speaking in code to some degree, right. and we're going to have to figure out how to learn to translate. But the thing about language is that you have to decide what to say with that. We need code poets. And so you need, well, I mean, honestly, you need people who have a message to send to the world. I was in this meeting where... Uh, there were all these big brands in the room and an agency came up and they presented about Generation X, Generation Y, and Generation Z. And they said that Generation X was completely uh, technology fluent. The first generation that really understood technology. Generation Y was 
social media fluent. So, you know, we really understand uh, how to be social and connect with others and communicate in that way. But Generation Z is marketing fluent. But here, <laughs> so here's the interesting thing. Like, you look at, you know, platforms like Musical.ly and, you know, young YouTube stars, and they, they understand how to do all of those things. They understand technology, they understand connecting with people, but they also know how to kind of market themselves and grow on social media, all these things. But what's fascinating about that is that this person said, Generation Z knows the least about what they want to say. They're mm-hmm. a tweet without words. They're an Instagram without a photo. Yeah. They're a, a Facebook or, you know, they're... It's Facebook without real friends. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fascinating to think about how this next generation, and, and I'm not saying that's forever. I think that's something that can be changed, but the status of where they are now is, you know, they... It needs to change. It desperately needs yeah. to change because we are teaching the hardware. We are not teaching the software. Yeah. We're teaching code. We are not teaching code poets. I think it's a great thing if we create robots and AI to be empathetic, but a, a human has to be behind that totally. at some point. And so the the danger of creating a workforce that only understands how to code and how to punch in the right numbers is that if you can't have an interpersonal dialogue with someone, if you can't have empathy toward each other, you're literally creating a generation of human robots. Mm. Google did this study. And Google, I mean, they're like, they research. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're very, they, they're all they about data. data. And so they did this really in-depth internal study where they went, okay, we want to know what makes all of our teams successful. And they were thinking it was going to be science, technology, engineering, and math, really, because they've had such a value throughout their hiring process of hiring the best of the best in those fields. And what they found really shocked them. This was was just this last year. The team members that made their teams the most successful, that made Google the most successful, that moved their company forward, were people who had these 21st century skills, these soft skills, were people who understood how to have an empathetic conversation, how to think outside the box. And so they are reshaping their entire hiring process to look for those folks over people who can just code, who just know science, technology, engineering, and math or STEM. And so again, those things are important, but really what they're looking for on top of that, and it's not, it's not enough just to have those skills. Yeah. You need to have those soft skills too, which is why we need to teach our kids to get weird. So how do we do that kind of on a practical level? Like on a day-to-day level, what are the things that we, we do to, to really foster that? Well, you know, <laughs> art class for, for instance, and there's so many wonderful art teachers and art programs and stuff. But again, it's, you know, 80% of schools are going to cut this yeah. out. So we've kind of regulated art class to, oh, let's draw something cute that we can show mom and dad and stick in the refrigerator. When in reality, you know, I grew up and I feel kind of, I, I felt kind of gypped because I got to college and I became a grown up and I went, wait a minute, the role of artists, you look at Picasso, you look at Dolly, you look at, you know, uh, anybody from even, you know, Beyonce, like these, these are, or Jay-Z, these, these are people who are, moving culture in the direction that they want to see it go. Hmm. They are crossing boundaries. They are stepping over the status quo, and they are literally creating 
things that change people's minds. And I wish, Brandon, when I was in fourth grade, somebody would have told me that the real, the, the, the reality of what an artist does and what art does has the, the, the capacity to change somebody's mind. Yeah. And so if we can help our kids understand that doesn't matter if you're good at using the Crayola. You know, I have, art class was like a Crayola commercial for the most part. It doesn't matter if, you know, uh, you can use safety scissors really well or, or um, you know, draw something with a, with a, a Crayola marker. You could get really, not us, but you could get really excited about using spreadsheets. You could wake up in the morning like, I cannot wait to use Microsoft Excel. There were people in our classes that were like that. And yeah. there's people all over the world who are like, I, give me a good spreadsheet. <laughs> I, don't, I can't understand that, but God bless them. If art class would have captivated those people too in fourth grade, in fifth grade, and gone, hey, look, you can actually use a spreadsheet. You can use... Uh, data processing. You can be a mom. You could be a dad. You can you can really do whatever you want in the world. But if you look at it through the lens of an artist, you can actually have the capacity to change minds, to change paradigms. That's something that I think a lot more people, a lot more kids would have got on board with. Yeah. Uh, and really, everybody needs to know. So everybody's an art. You know, that's that's Picasso's quote, right? You know, all kids are artists. The problem is, you know, staying an artist when you become a grown up. It's really interesting thinking about the intent more than the actual product or the actual creation saying, okay, well, the goal of art isn't just to, you know, doodle, you know, it's not just the, the mediums that you're using. It's not crayons on paper. Right. What it is is, okay, how can I move the needle for whatever my goal is? Exactly. And that can be literally anything. Right. But it's that having that goal in mind, it sounds like. Right. So yeah, it's, it's something to exercise. Otherwise, it becomes really quickly something that some kids are good at and some kids aren't. Yeah, and so, so like I sucked at basketball in PE class, you know, as a kid, but I still got a workout. You know what I mean? <laughs> I still ran around and I still, you know, caught the ball and I still, you know, shot it in the air and got it every, you know, 10,000 times. Yeah. But um and missed all the other times, but still like I still got a workout. And so when it comes to art class, when it comes to music, when it comes to the humanities, um there needs to be an understanding I think more of the why versus the what and even the how. So circling back on this idea of you know, this next generation, Gen Z, being so marketing savvy, but, but maybe not having the message yet, not, not knowing exactly what it is that they want to put out in the world, but, but having that full capability to do that. Where do you think we're going with that? What, you know, what do yeah, you Yeah, well, I think we've put such an emphasis on, especially in social media and marketing, also on, on, on the word story. You know, we are, we are, story fiends you know in our culture and there's instagram stories and share your story and live a better story and your story matters and and all of that stuff and, and stories are great and we're we, we're both storytellers and i love stories it's been this tool that since the dawn of humanity has been used to help explain things and help contextualize things but what i fear is that we've made story kind of the end all be all and and I'm here to say it's not a very it might not be a very popular opinion but your story is not as important as you may have been told. Hmm. Your story doesn't matter as much <laughs> because really at the end of the day the very best even the greatest story in the world can do is only hold a candle only illuminate something that's already going on inside of you. It can only illuminate 
who you are or who you're becoming. So you walk out of a, a great movie, you're like, man, that was an awesome movie. Yeah, you like that because it's pinging something deep within you. It's not, it's not writing that thing in you. It's expressing that. It's illustrating that thing mm, within you. Yeah. And so what I think we've lost and we need to reclaim is that your identity is more important than your story. Your identity is something, and again, you know, regardless of what you believe about the universe and, and spiritually, your, your identity is something that's been been given to you. There's a place in your soul, um, John O'Donohue says, uh, that is this inner sanctuary that no one can touch, that no one can manipulate. It's who you are before the world kicked it out of you. And... It's deeper than any story. And the thing about a story is that you can manipulate a story. You can change the parts. You can omit things. You can add things. You can sort of shape it to fit an Instagram feed or a YouTube show or whatever it is. Um, But if we're not sure of who we are outside of our story, that's when we run into a generation that doesn't know who they are, how to interact with others, and doesn't see the sacredness in another human being. Man, that's so good. Um, we should never confuse the two. Yeah. Our identity is on our story. It's yeah. good to have a story, but you can change your story. Your identity is the sacred part, the sanctuary within your soul of who you are. And if you're going to have a story, it seems like it should revolve around that identity. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's interesting. That's really good. That's really well, in good. a world of personal brands, we think we can shape our identity. Oh, I want to, I want to be like this and sound like this. And that's that's all. That's John O'Donoghue would say that's your biography. <laughs> but there's a deep and hollowed place in your gut that's unconcerned with comparison and with other people's expectations. It's who you are before the world tried to conform you to a paint by numbers sort of situation. Well, I think that's why I'm so drawn to people who are doing their inner work because they know their identity. They're at a place where they they truly know who they are. And like, you know, kind of circling back to what we talked about before, you know, it's finding what makes them weird, not creating something that's weird. Yeah. We've all been given this unique combination of matter and spirit, this strand of DNA that nobody else in the universe has. And I think our life's journey is to figure out, well, what do we do with that? We don't have to conjure it. That's that's the great news. So we don't have to look for it or conjure it or personally brand it or whatever. It's there. And now we just have to operate out of that and excavate that and remember that that's who we truly are. So Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah. So we've got the systemic change that we can create, which is, you know, building systems within our education system and our schools, et cetera, to kind of encourage art, to encourage these soft skills, to encourage exploring the ways that we can use these things to make an impact. But then, and and of course, you know, there's lots of ways to do that. We can, you know, contact our local city council people, our school boards, et cetera. We can, you know, vote for taxes that, you know, support our schools, things like that. But then there's also kind of the day-to-day of, of how we do this with our kids, um, you know, while we're waiting for those systems to change. You've yeah. got two kids. Uh, what are you kind of doing on a day-to-day level at home, you know, outside of these big systemic things? 
Yeah, you know, one is is literally fresh out of the oven. He's like three months old, and so <laughs> he uh, he's a wild card for 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 me. And I think every kid is different. But with Sayla, who's five, you know, and this is my, my wife spends more time with her in the kind of the nitty gritty day to day. And so one thing that that she has just been such a rock star at is my, my wife is like the style queen of everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> she can make she can go to Goodwill or a thrift store and you know spend five dollars and make that five turn that five dollars into something that looks like it's out of an anthropology or urban outfitters you know catalog or something like that she's just amazing and so she dresses awesome she's she's really cool cool. she's got good style and our five-year-old daughter will want to wear the most wild ridiculous (laughs) thing and she's got like all you know kelly's like my wife kelly's you know getting all these all you know awesome clothes for her and stuff and and my wife has made a really um, intentional decision to let our five-year-old wear whatever she wants to wear, as long as it's like within reason. You know, I'm not going to put her. We're not going to put her in like, you know, a sweater and and um, you know a, a winter coat in the middle of summer. But as long as she's you know safe and you know healthy, it's like yeah, you want to wear plaid on plaid on plaid on whatever like whatever it is. Go for it, and, and and you know, but but it's that gut check because I know. Yeah, I even experienced what we were going to a party, and she, you know, wore this crazy outfit. I'm going. Everybody else is kind of going to be, you know, dressed up like sailor. Are you sure you want to wear that? And Kelly's like, you know, I have had that thought a million times, and I go, what's what's really more important at the end of the day? Yeah, and so I think it's just really recognizing what's the most valuable. You know, is this going to? Yeah prevent this kid from you know so anyway is there is there a chance you know and this is the cynic speaking but you know is there a chance that one day she's going to go to school and she's going to be wearing a different outfit than all the other kids and she's going to get that weird kicked out of i know and i should i should preface this by saying like clearly just like figuring this out like not even close to being an expert there's a guy who like i don't know you might know him but there's a he's He's got like a personal brand sort of thing, and like he like his wife like popped out a kid, and like I feel like the day after he like became the family man expert or something like that <laughs> on social media and everything. I'm like, you're just like how do you like none of, none of us are <laughs> this is the emperor's new clothes. Like none of us are experts. We're all just like hanging on to the steering wheel, totally ripping it so tightly. Going, I sure hope we don't mess up, and we will. And so I'm already starting a savings account for my kids. College, uh, not college. Well, I should be doing that, but their psychology <laughs> bills. Um, because I'm sure I'm going to mess, you know, mess up. But, but what was your original question? <laughs> what happens if if she goes to, to school that. and she uh, she gets the yeah. weird kicked out of her? You know, she's she's yeah. dressed way different than all the other kids, and other kids notice because maybe they have a much more oh, cynical man. perspective than than she does. You know, I'm um, I'm really scared of that, Brandon. Yeah, um, she starts kindergarten tomorrow, literally. And oh my goodness. And I, I would be lying to you if I wasn't nervous about that. I don't know. I love the public school system. I I believe that if we want to see change happen within it, we should support it and be a part of that. But there's a part of me that wants to just keep her yeah. isolated and away from all of that stuff. And yet I know that that turns into... A Little Mermaid, Hotel Transylvania, whatever the whatever the yeah. story is, situation where you got the dad who's like, I just, I just want to protect you, but you know, you end up 
sort of isolating this kid who needs to, you know, be a part of the world, be a part of yeah. of, of that and experience um, that pain to a degree. So the only, the, my best idea so far is I just wrote this book and I dedicated it to her. And honestly, from the moment I started writing to, you know, being finished with it, I had this, this thought in my mind, it's like, write this for your daughter. Like, this mm. is for, like, if, if nobody reads this, like, one day I want her to read it and go, all right, dad, I get what you're saying. And thanks for writing this for me. So there's this, this chapter. It's my, it, I think it's my favorite chapter of the book. It's called The Myth of the Caterpillar. Mm. And where that really came from was I was sitting on my friend. We, we call her Mama Moo. She's this wonderful um, lady in her 60s. She has this amazing um, – you got go to go to it one day. It's an amazing farm outside of Nashville. And there's chickens and there's cows and there's wildflowers and – uh, there's tomato plants and eggplant and you know all of these it's just it's just um, and she's like you know she's like 60 something years old <laughs> working this thing every day it's amazing yeah oh, she's she's unbelievable so i was sitting on her porch writing for a couple of days kind of hoping that the farm would inspire me and i'd have kind of this creative breakthrough and honestly at the end of the day this was like the third day i was there i was about to leave i was late for a meeting already and i was kind of disappointed cuz i'm like man i just i haven't i didn't get any major inspiration. I'm still a little bit stuck from a writer's block perspective. And so before I left, she's like, well, come on, you got to go through the garden and pick a bunch of vegetables. I'm like, I'm already late. But she like scolded me a couple of days before like, <laughs> for not doing this already. And so I'm running through the garden, trying to get all these vegetables. She's being very generous. And in my mind, I'm just kind of going like, I need to, I need to leave and go to this meeting that I'm late for. And then she stops me. She goes, look, come on, come on, come over here, come over here, check this out. And so I run to her and she's cupping a, a tomato leaf in her hand. She goes, do you know what this is? And I go, it's a tomato leaf. <laughs> like not understanding what the whole, you know, issue is. And she's like, no, 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 look, look, look closer. And there was um, this beautiful green and jet black and yellow creature. It was objectively beautiful. It was like, it was amazing. She goes, this is, this is the caterpillar that turns into a monarch butterfly. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it beautiful? I said, of course it is. There's no, there's again, there's no debate. It had bright lime green and all of these cool pops of colors and everything. And there it was. There was the inspiration right there. Hit me like a ton of bricks. It goes, my whole life I've been told the fallacy, I think, of the ugly caterpillar one day transforming into the beautiful butterfly. The ugly duckling becoming a, you know, beautiful swan. Uh, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer only becoming valuable when other people perceive his red nose as an asset to them, you know, to get them out of the fog, right? And here in this moment, looking at this tomato leaf, looking at this caterpillar, I go, well, no, the caterpillar's already beautiful. The caterpillar's already amazing. Like, it doesn't have to wait to become a butterfly. It doesn't have to wait to transform to have inherent worth and value and beauty. And now metamorphosis is awesome. Metamorphosis and transformation, we all want those things and those are all good things, but those are things that are meant for us, not things that should be imposed on us by other people. And so mm. going back to my daughter, the only thing I can say to her and what I put in the book is, you know, kids will tease you at some point. Kids will make you feel less whatever. Insert, you know, beautiful, worthy, whatever. And the, the temptation 
the easy answer, right, is to go, well, you know, there's one day he'll transform into this beautiful butterfly, and that's what, you know, just show him then. But I think that's a cheap answer. The bigger reality and the bigger invitation she can step into is, no, 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 you're you're wonderful. You're full of wonder. You're full of beauty right now, right here in the presence or in the present. You don't have to wait. Your value is not contingent on somebody else's opinion. You don't have to wait to transform. Man, CJ's conversation felt like a huge mic drop for me. And I know that that last question, I I asked him about his daughter and he shared these words, but I think that maybe I was asking for myself and that those words were something that I needed as well. I love this idea that CJ gets to the heart of it, that knowing what makes you weird is the best thing you can offer your art, your business, your friends, your family, and yourself. It's the essence of creativity, the stuff of movements, and the hope for humanity. If you aren't already following CJ online, do yourself a favor and follow him at CJ Cassiata on Twitter and Instagram. You'll also find everything you need to know about his work on his website, www.cjcass.com. Most importantly, after listening to this conversation, I hope that you're already planning on getting CJ's new book, Get Weird. We only spoiled a few things inside. Don't worry. There are so many ideas and concepts and brilliant lessons inside of his book. If you loved this conversation about weirdness and creativity, you would also love my conversations with unconventional fine art photographer Brooke Shaden and award-winning writer Esme Wang. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you hit subscribe to keep getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered straight to your phone while you sleep. And for those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, please consider supporting the show by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by telling a friend about the show. It really moves the needle for us. This podcast is created by me. Brandon Harvey is a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show, and Christy Karenbrock offers production support. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. And we also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. It's filled with so much good news, and it's a wonderful way to help support this podcast. You can order our latest issue of the good newspaper today at shop.goodgoodgood.co. We've just started shipping out issue five this week, and I can't wait for you to see what's inside. You can also see what else we do at Good 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 by visiting goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and remember this truth. You do not need to wait to transform to be deemed valuable. You are already worthy and capable of making a difference, just as you are. Sound good?